Christy Wentz, how are you? I am excellent. How are you? Very well. Thank you. Thanks for joining Wine Saves Lives. I've been excited about talking with you in this particular forum for quite a while. We had a great visit with you in Livermore Valley a couple of months ago. We'll talk some about that as I'm curious to get more insight about the valley from someone who's not there all the time. You know your way around the cellar, yes? A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Not as much as some, but I have, yeah, six years now. <laughs> Describe where you were working, what you were doing. Yeah. So gosh, so I spent my first five years doing harvests in Michigan, um, Southwest Michigan, which most people don't even know makes and makes wine, grows grapes. And it's mostly vinifera too, surprisingly. I get that question all the time. Oh, sure. It's hybrid. Yeah, there's some of those, but it's mostly vinifera. I got my start really, really full-time in wine up there. I had, it, it was staying at an Airbnb property for just a getaway weekend. And it was at a winery. I met the winemaker. We hit it off and he's like, Hey, have you ever done a, done a harvest? And I was like, no, but I'd love to jump in on one. And so fast forward from that spring to fall and I was out there and helping him with Riesling. That was in 2017 or 18, I think 18, 2018. Okay. Um, and then from there just took off, spent three harvests with him. And then after that jumped over to a place that had a vineyard. And so did the whole growing season from all the vineyard work from pruning through harvest and then did two harvests at another winery up there. What is it that people who don't know wine, what do they get wrong about harvest time? Oh, that's a good question. It's hard work. Um, it is a lot of cleaning. It's you're dirty. It's sweaty. It's hard work. It's physical. It starts in the morning. You're not done till often late at night and it's exhausting. And it's not this romantic. I think people have this tendency to idealize it or go back to the I Love Lucy episodes where they're stomping grapes to their feet, which is yeah. awesome. I've done that. It's very fun. But even that's really hard work like that. You're like getting winded and thinking I'm going to have a heart attack. Um, so it's, it's hard work and it's not it's not glamorous by any means. It's that you're getting down and dirty. But you know, and I found people either love it or hate it. I don't know anybody that's like in the middle because if you're going to do it, it's a commitment. And, but if you love it, it, there's just, there's nothing like it. It's just amazing. What do you learn about wine, about finished wine? If you're looking, if you're looking, let's say you're at your kitchen table, you're at a restaurant, mm -hmm. finished, you've got a bottle of wine in front of you, you've got a glass of wine, you're sipping it, you're enjoying it. And your you you go back to your harvest experience. What is it about that wine, in terms of your own understanding or your emotional connection to it, that you gain by having actually worked to make it? Oh, sure. There's the technical side, the how tos, and the, everything that you learn in the vineyard through the winery and winemaking process. But I think for me, it's more of that emotional connection and that human connection. They say grape wines are made in a vineyard. And I do believe that you start with good grapes, but I think a lot of it comes down to winemaking too. You can have a bad harvest and then in those years, you still have to make wine. And so then it's coming down to the winemakers. Um, and you can also have two different winemakers taking the same exact grapes from the same exact vineyard, and you're going to have a different wine. There's, It still matters. So there's that human component. It's got that artistic piece where it's a little bit art, it's a little bit science, definitely a ton of history. But for me, when I'm connecting, I think when, the, when I get that bottle and I'm not thinking academically or writing reviews or anything like that, I'm just thinking about the connection to the wine. It's the human piece. It's the 
the hands that have touched the grapes, that have worked the soil for, in a lot of cases, generations. And then it comes down to hand labeling the bottle, or maybe it's a hand cork machine or whatever it is. There's so many touch points with so many different people that then connects back to their families and they're making a living and they're like, it just, I don't know, to me, it's just that whole human connection. Just, it's not just a product in a bottle. There is, there's so many human touch points there. It spans 8,000 years or 10,000 years of human development, right? Yeah. And a friend and someone I've had on the podcast, Wes Hagen, can talk to you for a half an hour about very specific historical events that right. I'm part of or has actually caused to happen. And there, there's what I'm always intrigued by, and I wrote about this in my first book, is this idea that my great-grandfather was doing the same thing in the vineyard roughly the same time I do it 100 yep. years ago. And this connection that you're able to make with your own ancestors or, frankly, with the whole line of winemakers yes. for innumerable generations, over thousands of years, is really an extraordinary thing. It doesn't happen often in, in wine. Maybe, right. maybe wine more than in other kinds of industries, but still with modern day wine, this multi-generational thing is fairly rare. Yeah. Uh, it happens a fair amount in the Livermore Valley, interestingly enough, but there, there's something really, there's something really beautiful and something really magical about being able to link my tenure in this business a, a, as a link in a chain with all these generations past. So it's a, uh, it's an extraordinary thing. Oh, it is. It's amazing. I had the one year I did in the vineyard, the two years in the vineyard, one year in, in particular, my whole family got out there. Like my husband helped do some pruning. My kids were out there doing the bird netting. We planted vines that year. So my son was going around watering all the baby vines. So the whole family is out there doing this. And then you think about that, like eventually that's in someone's glass and someone's home and part of their meal. And it, it's just, I don't know, it's really cool. It is. A, it is a cool thing. There, there are only a few things more intimate than feeding somebody. Right. Yeah. Or slaking their thirst. And so there, there's that component of wine that's amazing as well. So you are you a Michigander by birth? I'm not. Um actually born in central Illinois, but mostly Chicago in my whole life. Michigan just happened to be the closest to wine country I could get <laughs> from Chicago. It's actually only about yeah, from the city, it's probably about 45 minutes to an hour around Lake Michigan. I was in the suburb, so it was about hour 45 minutes to get up there, but totally worth it. Nice. I spent a little bit of time in the Leelanau Peninsula. Nice. With Beth, with my wife's family, awesome. for their reunions. And there was actually some pretty good wine. They're better on the white side, I think, than on the red side. For sure. There's shorter growing season there than there is in California. So it's tough to get red, especially vinifera, cab, franc, cabernet sauvignon stuff, right? But you're a, you are a, you're a proponent of Michigan cab franc. Tell us a little bit about what that's like. I've had a couple but probably the one of the few that will listen to this actually has had Michigan Cab Franc. Awesome. Yeah, you say I don't know many people that have, <laughs> that have had Cab Franc from Michigan outside of the Midwest. Um, but you're right, like up north in the Leelanau Old Mission Peninsula, is definitely they're growing some really great white grapes up there. It is a cooler climate. Their vintages are really weather dependent. They can have some nasty cold snaps that are just you know, really short in the growing season to even killing off a lot of the fruit. But further in the southwest, which is the Lake Michigan Wineshore ABA, as well as the Fenville ABA, um, they're a little bit warmer. So they're a little bit closer to, like I said, just right around the lake from Chicago. So they really benefit from that Lake Michigan effect. So they're getting a little bit warmer in the winter, a little bit, stay a little bit cooler in the summers. There's 30 some different soils types down there. 
So really a, a fascinating region. And a lot of the Cab Franc and Cab Sauv, Merlot, like all the red grapes, you're going to mostly find those down in the Southwest. There is some growing up North, but a lot of it's going to be down in the Southwest. And that's where a lot of Leelanau Old Mission get their grapes from is down in that little pocket there. Interesting. Similar lake effect than what you might get from Lake Seneca and some of the Finger Lakes as well. Totally. And was uh, Finger Lakes Cab Franc. That's why I got into Cab Franc. That's where I found it. And I was all in. Finger Lakes is where I got my start in wine. And so I think for me, Michigan was similar to Finger Lakes. I always say it's about 15 to 20 years maybe behind where the Finger Lakes is in terms of development of the region. But the potential is there. And particularly with climate change going the way it's going, they are Michigan is really primed to be the next grape growing region for these types of varieties. Cool climate's going to be similar, more similar to Bordeaux, Loire style than it will be California Cap Francs. Like it's just, it is a cooler region. So how the thing, how the Finger Lakes, why, how? <laughs> Tell us about this. That was another random Airbnb experience. Like I, I seriously need to credit Airbnb for like my wine. <laughs> Stayed at another property. It was on, I think it was our 15th anniversary. And, and we had been to the Finger Lakes a couple times before that, like just randomly on road trips, found it because we just would stop at wine regions wherever we were. Fell in love with it. And so we were back there and, and staying there for a long weekend. And the host of the Airbnb property asked if we would be interested in tying vines. And we were like, absolutely. And she thought we were kidding. She said, no, it's your vacation. We're like, no, this is great. This is a vacation. And it happened to be Cab Franc. So we were out on Seneca Lake and that whole banana belt area there where it gets really warm. And it, the, the hill, it's just this, you get to this one point and it just drops right down into the lake. And it just, it's so steep and beautiful. And so that was my first time tying vines out there. And it just, it hooked Very me. Cool. But yeah, I started writing for them and things nice. just took off. What do your, what do your parents do? <laughs> Nothing in wine at all. <laughs> Preschool teacher. And my dad worked facility management, property management for different companies in the Chicago area. Did you grow up with wine? Was there wine on the table when you were a kid? Not at all. Occasionally a Michelob light was on the table and that was about it. <laughs> Definitely not. A I'm, I'm always curious about this. <laughs> my family was odd in that they had been in the business, still are in the business, obviously. Right. But that was, it was always there. It was as natural as a pitcher of water on the table or yep. what have you. And I'm always curious about people who get into it later in life, whether there was some kind of influence from old Aunt Mabel, or yeah. if not mom and dad. So you're growing up in the Chicago area. Your parents aren't into wine. Nope. When does wine first cross your consciousness? Yeah, that's, I would say... Probably towards the end of college, going into like my business career, started to have wine occasionally with meals, enjoyed it, but it was never something that was jumping out at me. And then I was on a trip to Temecula, California, actually, actually not going to Temecula. We were driving through, I think from Palm Springs to San Diego to see some friends. And I had to use the bathroom road trip. So we're driving through Temecula. There were maybe two or three wineries at the time. It was not what it is today. We're in the middle of nowhere. So figure out right, they got to have a bathroom. Stopped at a tasting. It was like, oh, that was cool. We've never done that before. Fun. And so we stopped at another one and it was Wilson Winery, which is probably Wilson Creek, I think. One of the bigger ones out there now. But at the time, it was just this tiny little tasting room and we walked in and it was Jerry Wilson and we had no idea who he was, what this was about. And he's like, oh, you just missed the tour. We're like, we have no idea what you're talking about. We just want to taste some wine. <laughs> and so 
the glass and he takes us in the back and walks us through the whole process. And we ended up there with him for two hours and talked to get talking about wine and, and wine things. And my husband's right. an economist. So they're talking about economics and I was in marketing. So we're talking about that. And like, it just exploded into this whole two hour long conversation. And that was it. Like every trip after that, we were stopping at wineries, you know, we'd be driving to Colorado from Illinois with the kids and stop in Iowa and Nebraska if there was a winery. And that was like just what we did. And so it just became an, an everyday part of our life after that. So where did you go to college? Winona State, Minnesota. Okay. Minnesota. Oh, it's in Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> it, slips. Uh, it, it slips out every now and again. We're not talking to a California girl necessarily. So you, did you study marketing in college? Political science. Okay. Yeah. Then my whole career was marketing and PR. Gotcha. And you work for yourself now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Kristenwentz.com. Yep. And, and I, yep. I've been looking at your website over the last couple of weeks and you've got people who you work with. I, mm -hmm. I think in your, and so are you, how much of what you do is wine related? Is it all wine related at this point in time? Yeah. Since 2021, it's all wine related. Yeah. Prior to that, the wine side was probably part-time and I had worked in commercial real estate PR for 20 years. And so that was the bulk of my business. I ran my own company for probably a decade, a little bit more. So closed that up and was ready to move into wine full-time. Wow. That's very cool. So describe your, what's an average month like for you? <laughs> there, is a, <laughs> there is such a thing. I will say it's always a scramble. It is always, it, it's always out there trying to get my name out there, trying to pick up new projects. So it's always a hustle to get more work, which I'm used to. I ran a PR firm for 20 years, same thing. Like no matter what business you're in, if you're on the service side and working for yourself, it's always a hustle. So that's consistent, but it, it changes from writing and doing content creation for social media to freelance writing for various online publications, doing different projects for different wine regions, done some work for Wines of Pumia. I spent the last year helping them with their social media. So it really just depends on whatever projects in the works, but it's typically always wine related, but with a focus of getting brands and regions and educational information out there, whether it's a specific story on the background or the history of the region, whatever it is, it's telling that story. How do you go about getting work? It, it's an interesting thing to me. I, <laughs> I, I write too. I write really for myself and for the winery at this point in yep. time. Freelance people, again, the misapprehension about how this kind of stuff happens these days, right? There's yeah. a lot fewer people, a lot fewer newspaper jobs. When I remember the San Jose Mercury News used to have a devoted wine column every week, uh -huh. and that's rare these days. Yeah. A lot of online online pub publications and stuff like that. So how is it that you go about trying to, what, how does the hustle work for you? Yeah, it's a lot of it's word of mouth. Thank goodness. So there is that. Um, but it's just keeping your eyes and ears open. It's social media is huge. I, I do a lot of stuff on Instagram and most of my work has come from there and not a lot of people think, oh, you're paid for Instagram. It's like, no, I'm not paid for anything I do on Instagram. If I am it, you'll see paid collaboration, which right. those are few and far between, but what has come through there is a network and relationships and different opportunities. So that's probably the biggest channel that I've got and LinkedIn. So it's using social media channels to network, find opportunities. People see what you're doing. They see the work that's out there. You find connections. And it's a lot of collaboration too, helping people. There may be an opportunity I find out about that I know somebody else out there. It's perfect for them. So it's a lot of that too. So reciprocation and collaboration and, and helping each other out. 
Because, yeah, it's not, uh, again, it's not a glamorous side of the business. It's, it is a hustle. It is, there's not a lot of money in wine at all. I taught W7. I can vouch for that. This is one of those things, again, that you do because you're compelled yeah. from a hospitality standpoint to take care of people, to give, yeah. hopefully produce something that's delicious that fills people. So what is this, what's the zeitgeist now out there? Are there, are there wine stories or what's resonating out in the larger wine world that we might not know about yet? That's a good question. Yeah, I think it's a mix of the stories behind the wine, but also just new and interesting things. I think it, it, you know, drives a lot of interest. It's not the same old stuff or the same old brands, but how do you tell those stories? Because there's there's thousands of wineries out there. So how do you get those stories out there? What's going to resonate? And usually everybody's got their own unique selling point. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in this business if you couldn't compete with your neighbor. That's just how this goes. And it was the same thing when I was in real estate. If I represented five construction companies, if I get a story from a publication that says, hey, I need to talk to somebody in construction, how do I pick from the five? Everybody's got their own unique story and it's the same in wine. Everybody's got something that sets them apart and it's finding those pieces and sharing those and getting that out there. You were, as I mentioned earlier, you were in Livermore a couple of months ago mm-hmm. and we had, I had the great pleasure. My team had the great pleasure of spending some time with you. What did you think about the Valley? Amazing and shocking. I was not expecting that at all. Going in, I knew, and I, and I think I mentioned this, I don't really dig too far into where I'm going because I want to just experience it without any kind of preconceptions or other people's opinions. And all I really knew is it was in California. My assumption was it was going to be hot, big, high alcohol wines. The few people I had talked to said the same thing. Somebody told me to have a great time drinking sparkling. They hear they do good sparkling. And I was like, what are you talking about? They're like, yeah, Liverpool. I'm like, no, California. <laughs> I didn't know a lot. And I, I still have run into that. And I had that Liverpool thing come up again. Somebody else said the same thing. So the name's just not really out there as much as I think it should be. And I think that's what surprised me the most is your winery was the first one. Cab Franc is my heart and soul. And I had no idea that that was a thing in Livermore. So when you had them all out there, I was just like, oh, what is happening? And then I got I was like, okay, I like cool climate cab francs. Is this in my, how am I going to feel about this? And it was phenomenal. It was, I was really blown away at the elegance of the wines in Livermore. I think, and it was surprising to me too, the climate, the diurnal shift between day and night temperatures and the soils and that it was completely not what I was expecting. Very different than what I think of as kind of central coast California wines. And it, I was blown away, especially the cab franc, some of the Syrahs. Some of the Spanish varieties that I had out there are just incredible. It was really cool. But yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Again, we, we're, we're very excited to, it's one of those things where there are certain regions out there that that get lucky yeah. somehow and some movie stars out there making a vanity brand or whatever and then something <laughs> pops and all, all yep. this, you can never tell how the people, there'll be more people having wine careers if you knew exactly how to get the visibility yeah. and like exactly interesting about where we are is it's an old region compared mm-hmm. to Western California. It was really the first best region in California in the 1880s. And it it there's a lot of factors I think that mitigate against um that kind of romantic notion of stuck between two freeways. You don't see right. a lot of vineyard off the highway. Yeah. You got to get off the road a while. There, there's something, there, there is a magical thing, I think, that's happening there. A lot of small wineries, a lot of people who are now younger people. So this kind of 
second career folks who retired from the lab and, yeah. and did this bucolic area wanted to wanted the wine lifestyle and so they make their thousand cases for club members and, and it never goes yep. any further than that i think there's a lot I, I and we talk about this a lot and we'll get into this more i, I want to focus a bunch of attention on cab franc but i really think livermore has an opportunity there to finally create a reason for people to go there not just because it's pretty and not just because the wines are good but because of a specific variety but we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. You are traveling around with your husband. You have kids or you're in Southern California, you know, going through Temecula, which is a region that that also doesn't get probably the respect that it deserves. Right. Um, uh, how do you get to Oregon? Yeah, it wasn't wine related again. Yeah, my husband's job. So he's been uh, in universities for his career, was an economist, PhD professor forever and made his way up in administration and landed we landed which i am i am grateful for because the first offer was from kansas and so i was a little panicked there <laughs> how am i gonna do one in kansas right wine quality in oregon is a stepper yeah. higher than it is in kansas yeah much, that's much. cool that's cool so you're in the willamette valley then you're not that far from oregon state not that far from the university of oregon uh, a little north a, a beautiful region what is it that you're what is it that you're understanding about the Willamette Valley and what part does Pinot Noir play in your life? Yeah. Oh, Pinot Noir is obviously huge here. It's how they made their name. It is how they made their name. There's plenty of that to go around. I always say I'm Pinot picky. It's not my grape. I like it, but it has to be high acid, bright red fruits to fit in my palate. There's plenty right. of amazing Pinot here. Not all of it's for me, uh, but that's just because it's Cab Franc's my grape. This one isn't, um, but I do enjoy it. I do enjoy it very much. So there, there's definitely a lot of that. I think what it surprised me most is the Chardonnay here is amazing. For me, outside of Burgundy, this is some of the best Chardonnay I've had. It's just mineral driven, so high acid, fresh. It's it's stunning. So cool to see that really taking shape. I'm excited about bubbles here. They You're starting to see a lot more traditional method sparkling wines come out of this region. And the quality, I think, is really starting to drive itself up just as more people start to practice this because it, it takes time. Right. Um, yeah, it's cool. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of fun things happening here. Again, there's some Meunier out there. So you're seeing some stuff pop up in Southern Oregon too, which is really neat. Some Grenache, Tempranillo, Syrah. So some of those warmer climate grapes down there. Um, a lot going on. So it's, yeah, it's definitely an exciting spot. It is an exciting spot. I, Beth, my wife is from, yeah. she worked in Oregon wine as well. And we've had, we've had family, both of us have family up there. So we're, we spend a fair amount of time in the region and there's, it reminds me a lot of what California was like 40, 50, 60 years ago yeah. in a way. One thing I admire about what they have been able to do is to create a brand for Oregon. Yes. They, they had brand Oregon, right? They yeah. had, had yeah. back 20 years ago, a real coalition of the wineries that were there trying to create a sense of what Oregon wine was and is for consumers as a way of getting people to realize there is great wine being made here. And that recognition floats all boats when, when it happens in a, in a large enough way. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I think that they've done a really nice job with that. Everything from the Oregon wine board to the grape growing coalitions, all of the AVAs have very active kind of groups marketing themselves and all working together. And I, th I think it's really, it's collaborative, it's cooperative. You see a lot of that kind of, like you said, rising tides. And I think they they got that here and they understand it. It's, it's really right. refreshing to see. It is. It's an impressive thing. And it's something that, that 
as I'm thinking about what I'm trying to accomplish, not only for my own brand, but for, for right. Liberty Valley, we, there's a similar effort, I think, that needs to be made on building brand Cabernet Franc. Yes. There's yeah. only you know, roughly 10,000 tons of Cab Franc that's crushed in California right now. There's 280,000 tons of Cabernet Sauvignon crushed every year. And so you can see the disparity in yeah. popularity of the variety, knowledge of the variety. And I don't think that any individual brand is capable of really making an impact in the sort of general consumer's mind. I think it has to really more be a varietal thing. Yeah. And, yep. and so there, I'll be asking for your advice here in a minute, but what does Cabernet Franc mean? Uh, to me, huh, happiness. It is the grape that got me into wine. It is, well, I shouldn't say it is. Spanish wines are what got me into like really enjoying wine to begin with. But as in terms of variety, it was Cab Franc. It was, it's just been hands down my favorite. To me, it's just, it's so food friendly. The acidity is so refreshing. It's, it's got those just crunchy fruits in there and it, it can be a bold structured wine or it can be a light, easy drinking wine. And there's everything in between, depending on where it's come from, how it's made, it takes well to oak, takes well to amphora. Like it, it just can be such a beautifully expressed grape that it's, yeah, it's happiness to me. <laughs> I don't agree with all those points. Totally agree. We we have been been working hard. When we when we when you were at our place, I think we had five or seven Cab Francs out, yep. and that Cab Franc Blanc finally got dry, and we're very excited bottling awesome. that for the week. So we'll definitely get that out to you when it's ready. There there is. How do you go about? Do you think as a again? This is if I'm thinking about this sort of in a, a pure pyramidal shape, let's say, mm -hmm. and there's the Stephen Kent winery at the top of this pyramid in terms of Cabernet Franc, but there's yep. no foundation built for that yet. What do you do you think? If you're trying to build Cab Grand Cab Franc, which is the base of that pyramid, what are the what are the best tools out there to 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 do that, do you think? That's a good question. Education, I think, is is where it starts and combine that with some marketing. But what is Cab Franc? Where is it grown? What does it taste like? I think a lot of people and I think it's always easy to get locked into wine speak, especially when it's what we do and we're surrounded by other people that do that. We just, that's not a, I think that's where some of that wine snobbery comes in. I don't think it's always a snobbery. I think it's just sometimes we forget that not everyone is as immersed in it as we are, what we live every day. Right. And but the general consumer doesn't, half of them don't know the difference between Cab Sauvignon and Cab Franc or that Cab Franc is in a Bordeaux blend, or they just... And why would they? I Before I really got into wine, I didn't know it was in Bordeaux. It was just Bordeaux. <laughs> okay, I don't need to know. I just know I liked it. I think that's where it starts is setting setting it aside. What is it? What does it taste like? How is it expressed in all the different places that it comes from? And I think you're starting to see it. I think it's starting to happen where it's that little, that, that, that new song that's come out on the college radio station from the band that's playing. Like it's right. on it. The cool kids that are tuned in have figured this out. Oh, I know what that is and I'm here for it. So I think you're starting to see a little bit more of that. And so I, I'm, I'm hopeful that it's with a little bit more education, marketing, and just getting the name Cab Franc out there. I think we'll start to see it because it's, how do you not like it? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, and I'm always wary of that sort of proximity bias. And yeah. you alluded to it where because we're immersed in it, we think that we're yeah. just with everyone is like us. And it's obviously yeah. not the case. The most expensive fruit you get from Napa Valley by ton is Cab Franc, but that's a scarcity thing 
only yeah. really. And once there's more planted, the price will come down and, and that sort of thing. I, I think, however, that empirically we can see more articles being written about Cab Franc, yeah. more wineries making varietal Cab Franc. We're all, this is a style. I remember an old winemaker who used to work for me would say wine's a style business. People mm -hmm. are looking for new things. The Psalms are looking for new things. The, the wine lovers are and retailers, all that kind of, always looking for something new. And Syrah has been the, the next new big thing in California uh -huh. over the last 30 years. It hasn't happened and probably never will. Yeah. My my goal is to make sure that Cab Franc it, it gets an opportunity to be yeah. that thing, because I, I agree with you. There there are there there are very few grapes out there that that combine that sexiness and that alluring deliciousness with yeah. such a breadth of particular or potential styles. And the food friendliness is is absolutely a thing, and I, I, it's one of those things that, from an educational standpoint, like you like you, you were mentioning, it's, it's the father or the mother of that whole mm -hmm. Carmenet family of grapes, that whole Bordeaux family, and it it has a great story, and yeah. it's better than having a crappy story <laughs> in terms of <laughs> getting getting into the public's brain pan at some point in time. Yeah, what are you an influencer? <sighs> Yeah. And what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, that's one of those words that's like, <laughs> Technically, yeah, I fall into there. I think it, it can have a bad rap. So I always tend to go more, I'm a content creator or educator for, for sake of semantics. Yeah, it's, I fall into that. One thing that impressed me uh, and continues to impress me about you in particular is that we get a share of people coming through Livermore, not like mm -hmm. they would get in Paso or get in, in Napa, to be certain. But you know what you're talking about. I remember <laughs> we were talking, we are showing you the equipment they were using, and you're asking some very specific <laughs> questions about pieces of equipment. And yeah. that didn't happen very often with wine influencers. And so thank you. Thank you for the authenticity and thank you for the knowledge. What is it? What is it that you think that Livermore Valley can do as a, as a collection of wineries to begin that process of, again, rallying around a grape or at least rallying around each other? What can it do to, to get more of the word out about, about how well we do things? Yeah, that's a great question. I think you mentioned, too, like a lot of the wines aren't in distribution. So it's hard. I think that's hard to get well-known outside of the community if the wines aren't outside of the community. So tourism can definitely be a big selling point because if you're, you're going to have to bring the people in order right. to get out because the wines just aren't out. But I think that's a great story to tell. I think the tourism there, I, I think it's, for me, when I was there, it was refreshing and that, like I said, I got into wine out in Temecula randomly. And after that's all we did was on our trips was stop in wineries and I think wine regions have lost some of that easygoing, welcoming kind of tourism feel. And I found it there and it was so refreshing. Like there, you could easily get to two to three places in a day and it was relaxed. And there was a, you felt the culture there. You felt a sense of community. It felt a lot less kind of sterile and just about, okay, we're going to sit down and have a two hour tasting and here's your wines. And which is great that there is a place for that. But it's also nice to have part of that culture and that community feel. So it, it was relaxing. It was welcoming. It felt like just a nice place to hang out and be. So I think there's a definite 
thing there in terms of promoting the tourism and getting people to come out and enjoy a sense of culture and community and enjoy the wines. And then that's your opportunity to start talking about those Cab Francs, start getting it out there. Um, aside from that, I think teaming up, like you said, getting the wineries together, having agreeing on some here, some things we're going to go out there in terms of messaging, what we're going to talk about, what we're going to say, how we're going to do this and how we're going to really tell the story of Cab Franc in particular from this region. That's, that's a, a huge selling point. You talked about Oregon and that was what they did back in the day is they all got together and Pinot was what they talked about. It was a consistent message. It was what they were doing. They went out there and told the same story and talked about why and how, and here are some examples and it, and it really took off from there. So I think it's, it's just a matter of it. keep talking about it and making sure that you have those messaging points out there. If you do get some more of those wines into distribution, the Psalms are going to be a fantastic selling point. And you think about the grapes that Psalms love, right? Riesling and Pinot are like high on everybody's list. They're food friendly. Also, right. Cab Franc, it's a fantastic food pairing wine that you can have it with so many different types of foods that the Psalms seem like that would be a nice kind of easy direction to go because then they're your selling point to the consumers and restaurants. They're telling the stories and then eventually it gets on the store shelves and then they can tell the stories. And so it just is that whole snowball effect. But I think finding your messaging points collaborating together and the food friendly thing, I think is huge. It's- I do too. I think that one of the, one of the things that, that is a benefit for that grape too, for Cab Franc is that it's not your parents' grape. Yeah. Yes. You know, I think that there is something uh, there when people talk, I think it's maybe more European than it is yeah. California or Oregonian, but that no one wants to drink what their parents drink, right? No one wants to drink stodgy Bordeaux, Wrong. These are great wines, just in in a general way, right? We're always trying to discover, each generation is trying to discover that next new thing that they can really get their arms around. And I think Cavalong has that potential. I do too. One of those few red varieties that becomes whatever the generation's called these days, which would be fantastic. You, we have reached out to you uh, over the course of the last month or so. We've got Cavalong Capalooza happening in May. And our first one was last year, and we had about 30 wineries from around the world come to Livermore to, to enjoy, it, to pour uh, Cab Franc for five or 600 people over the course of the weekend. You've been incredibly helpful in recruiting Finger Lake <laughs> wineries and Michigan wineries. And so I thank you so much for, for all of that enthusiasm and, and help. Things like Cab Franc Palooza. Yes. Helpful, helpful in that that effort. Yep. Yeah. You think about taking back to Willamette again, the IPNC, the International Pinot Noir Celebration. That's in its what 30th year, 35th year, it's somewhere up there. Wow. Um yeah, hugely successful. And they bring in Pinot producers from around the world. They have educational seminars, they go out to vineyards, they do these side-by-side dinners, they have grand tastings, same thing. And it helps promote the grape and a region, but not just it's the region gets the side benefits, but it is Pinot from around the world. So it's a great educational opportunity to say, okay, here's how it's expressed in all these different places. And yes, we're on that same stage. So yeah, I think Cavron Capluza, and you, you, know, I, you know, I'm so excited about this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. I, 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 we hope that you're going to be with us, joining oh, us. Uh, so we're very excited about that. What is, when you think about your own company, when you think about ChristyWentz.com and, and the work that you're doing, mm-hmm. what, what is 
What's 20 years from now? What's 10 years? What's, what does success look like? For me, huh, living in Spain, that's ultimately where I'd like to get. I don't really have an end goal. It's because I, you know, there's nothing, you know, I don't want my own winery. I don't want my own wine brand. I don't want, there's nothing concrete like that. For me, it's just, if I can keep doing what I've been doing for the last few years for the next 10, I'll be happy. It's, I get to tell stories from wines from around the world. I get to meet people around the world, help share what they're doing. So if I can do that, I'll be happy. It's it's the journey rather than the destination. But if I end up in Spain, that will be a very happy destination. <laughs> so what is it about Spain? Uh, I don't know. First time I was there, it just got to my soul. Like it just, huh. it felt like home. It I just, I love the culture. I love the food, the wine, the way of life, just kind of the pace beautiful it's yeah i just i fell in love with it and so hopefully and they do have some it is believed cab franc originated in spain that's right that's right i've read the same thing sort of on the spanish side of the pyrenees and made its way up in, yep. in, in yep. whatever but it natural that's where i end there up you go. There <laughs> you go. all these connections it's, it's awesome <laughs> one of the nice things about the environment now from a technological standpoint mm -hmm. is you can really do your work from anywhere, right? Yeah. You can be in Spain and it, it's like you're living in the Willamette Valley for all intents and purposes. Exactly. That part of, that's a very intriguing lifestyle to me as well. It's hard to make wine in your winery when you're someplace else. Very true. You've got seven or eight months, I suppose, that aren't devoted to that. Yeah, it you down a little bit. Exactly. Exactly. I've really enjoyed this conversation. This has been I, awesome. I very, very much look forward to, uh, to seeing you in May and Wait. carrying on the love of Cab Franc. So thank you so much, Christy, for, uh, for all your help today and, and uh, look forward to telling the story. I'm excited. Can't wait. We'll see you soon. Thanks very much. Thank you.